Isaac Quainall, Tom Stewart. Now that KO has 4K, people will see every detail. I better wash my hair. Oh, I'll book in a spray tan. Maybe a manicure? I'm shining up my tats. Experience amazing detail with 4K. Now on KO. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. The Crows remain undefeated and the Cats get the cream. You've heard of hot yoga. Well, in Australia, we're so tough. We play hot footy. The Mercury is um, actually outscoring the scoreboard. My name is Emma Race and I am delighted to be here with my football-loving feminist folk to really chew the fat, as we like to do. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hi, it's Kate Sear. Hello, it's Lucy Tullamarine Race here. <laughs> Do you know about this, how Lucy thought her middle name was Tullamarine? Because our dad no. travelled so much as a youngster when she was a little. Oh, oh, that's great. I used to love going to the airport for just outings. <laughs> Fair enough. It reminds me of a friend of mine who I won't mention because I don't want to out her, but her middle name starts with T and when we were young she gave herself an additional middle name, which was Courtney, so that her middle initials would be TC, same as Tom Cruise. <laughs> And about, that was like almost 40 years ago and I still call her by the full name, which is not her name at all. (laughs) She a couch jumper? (laughs) I was hoping you would introduce yourselves as the Twisted Sisters in light of that um, jump that appears in the Winter Olympics, which I've been watching in recent days. You know how all the jumps and all the things have got (laughs) totally... I have a confession to make. I haven't watched any Winter Olympics yet. Fair enough. There's a bit, there's a bit, a bit on. There's a bit on. There's no clear air for it. Is there clear snow for it? <laughs> <laughs> the snow is fake snow, actually, too. Oh, is it all fei-fei? Pretty None much of it's fei-fei. real. Yeah, and I did actually read today that one of the competitors said it was like ice, you know, like it was like really hard and really Like a slurpee. Fall. Mm. <laughs> like a slurpee. Just had raspberry cordial. But the advantage of watching is that, you know, in this really hot weather, it does make you feel cold. So I recommend it to you both. Yeah, okay, I'll get on to that. This season is, of course, full of surprises, and we talk about that ad nauseum. The fixture is full of surprises, the comp is full of surprises, the protocols are full of surprises. One thing that is not full of surprises is the ladder. I'm going to ask you a question. What do Adelaide, Frio, Melbourne, Roos, Lions, and the Pies have in common? That they're in the top six of the ladder. Uh huh. And also at the end of last year, they were the top six. Correct. They were the top six at the end of last season and they are the top six right now. And they're also all foundation clubs. Um, Hmm. Is there something in that for all of us? I will just pick myself up on, pull myself up on this because I said Adelaide and then I said the pies, which is a bit like when people say, I'm going to tell you two things, A, and secondly, (laughs) 
I like that. Exactly. I like I'll it. allow it. Do you oh, like it? Yeah. All right. I want to know what were your highlights from the weekend? I'm going to come to you first, Katie. Can I go with Adelaide first of all? I know it's very sure. parochial of me because I go for them, but it would be remiss of us not to mention that they're five from five and that along the way they've beaten some really highly fancied teams. They've beaten Brisbane, North and the Ds, who are, as you just said, M, all top six teams, although the, the latter is like impossible to make sense of because teams have played, you know, varying um, numbers of games and things. And I feel like when I look at the latter, I feel like that Winona Ryder gif of her standing on stage looking around puzzled with various formulas flying across the screen because it doesn't make sense to me. But Beck Goddard said on the weekend, and I know Beck Goddard listens to this pod, so I hope she's listening when I say this. She said that she thinks Adelaide are unbeatable now. She cannot see another team beating them for the rest of the year. And I do love Beck Goddard, but Omen Watch, I wish she had have touched wood or tapped her heels together or something when she said that because I felt like she jinxed Adelaide and it scared me but um, they were good and I liked watching them play. It's interesting that the Crows are top of the ladder because they've actually only played five games so Fremantle have played six but they're one behind them. I write down the ladder, full disclosure, behind the scenes at the museum, this is how I get organised for the pod, is I write down the ladder. This week, I've actually got another column that has games played. See, you've got so much attention to detail. When I look at the ladder and it says some people play this many games and other people play that, I always just think that it's the app itself because it does that for me all the time (laughs) and I just go I need to do an update or something that wigs out quite a lot that app or am I is it just me no it did do that the other day for a start the ladder moved around and no one could find it but now it's got another little section where you can find it but we were all texting each other last night saying is the ladder are we completely wrong here because it took a really long time for it to update so it had Fremantle still in first place but it has Uh, okay sorted it's out. <laughs> gonna have lots of beeps today I think hey Lucy what were your highlights well again I'm gonna go back to the ladder for this one because my highlight is the team that's sitting seventh and they're a team that are sitting seventh so they're just outside the six but they've only played four games and that is Kate's other team the Gold Coast Suns Woo. Woo, go the Suns <laughs> so they played the Demons on the weekend and it was such a tough contested game. The Demons got the win at the end, as you will all know, because you're all AFLW fans. But the thing I loved about this game was just the intensity of it. And they actually broke the tackle record. There was 178 tackles combined between the two teams. And that's a record for the competition. I just loved seeing Perko out there. She's such a great footballer. She's a leader. She can affect what's going on, even if she, you know, doesn't have the ball in hand. And I thought she was just fantastic. Kalinda Howarth, again, <laughs> such a great player. And I think they talked about she started full back and then stayed in the same spot for full forward and basically was just wherever the ball was going to be because it was super windy. Now, if we were talking about all of this season as a play, the weather is just a whole other character. While it didn't kind of get to the gale force situation that we saw in Brisbane and Collingwood, the wind out at Casey's just always crazy. But Kalinda Howarth, with three minutes to go, gathered and snapped a goal that brought them within 12 points. I'm loving watching them. They just bring a real intensity. They seem super fit. They did the fly in, fly out thing, which I think is another challenge that we're asking teams to cope with as well as, you know, what they have to do on the field. And, yeah, I loved I loved the game. Em, what was your highlight? Thanks for asking <laughs> me. My highlight was, of course, the Cats 
because those little cats, cats. they got their win and the Eagles and the Cats game was pretty fun to watch and with two minutes to play, the Eagles hit the front for the first time all day and AFLW, the history of it and what we've seen, you would think with less than two minutes to go, the score doesn't usually change in the dying minutes. But Darcy Maloney, assisted by a bunch of teammates, just absolutely flew through and I actually think the goal that she kicked to to seal it for the Cats was really indicative of the development that we've seen in that team this year. It was a team effort. It was scrappy. They just kept going for second efforts. They never gave up. And I think that that's the difference that I've really seen in the Cats this season. And they've been playing some really good footy. They've been bringing it to teams that you would think have had a lot more experience. And I was really impressed. I thought it was fantastic. But I also wanted to do a shout out to Mimi Hill, who was back playing for Carlton with an AC. She's just come back from an ACL injury. I think it was a year ago, almost exactly, that she did her ACL. So she is back out on the field. 26 disposals. Excuse me? Like, (laughs) seriously? How is that even possible? Like, she was playing on the, obviously on a losing side, but she was everywhere. She had so much. She had leather poisoning. That was what her game was like. Also, Grace Egan. I didn't think we would see her back this season. After broken ribs and a punctured lung, you talked about toughness off the top of the show, Em. I, I was shocked to see her out there. That was, of course, the Carlton Respects match. Katie, that was one of your highlights for sure. It was, it was. This is actually my real highlight. So we saw the inaugural Carlton Respects walk. I mean, I like to think that we all know why this event happens, why this match happens. And, you know, I know that many, if not all of our listeners will be really clued into this, but sometimes I think, you know, the the attention on these games can, can waver a little bit and it's worth pausing to remind ourselves what that game was all about and uh, what it's designed to do. And, and that is, of course, to raise awareness about family violence, inter- intimate partner violence, sexual violence, gender inequality, particularly against women, which remains a major crisis in Australia. So I just wanted to share a few stats just to, just to remind us of the issues. Um, the Australian Bureau of Statistics released some data just a few days ago. Uh, those data show that six 639,000 women reported being sexually assaulted by a man in the last 10 years, but there were just 53,000 recorded offenders, so a huge gap, a huge gulf. Other Australian Bureau of Statistics data that are a couple of years old now show that almost a quarter of women report having experienced at least one incidence of violence by an intimate partner. Most tragically of all, multiple women and children have been killed already in 2022. We know what the drivers of gender-based violence like this are. They include gender norms and stereotypes, disrespect for women, uh, and other structural problems that perpetuate gender inequality, language, and so on. And I really just wanted to take the opportunity to remind everybody of how important it is to recognise all of those issues because we all do have a part to play in trying to prevent violence against women. Um, It's all about what we have the capacity to do of course and I recognize not everyone has the capacity to intervene on these issues but if you can call out disrespectful language to women uh, if you can call out inequality or intervene in any way where you see women in particular being disrespected that goes some way to chipping away at these problems so um big respect to Carlton and everyone involved at the football club uh, for that game on the weekend Thanks, Kate. It's something that really drives a lot of what we do and a lot of our conversations in terms of conversations around equality, whether that's in terms of broadcasting or whether it's in terms of language. The reason that we care so much about making sure that language is 
equal and that there are equal voices, gender equality in broadcast and across a whole range of different areas is because we know that that um, feeds into community ideas of gender. We should roll straight into the melee and I will say that if uh, conversations about sexual assault and disrespect uh, are difficult for you or if they raise issues for you, you can call 1800RESPECT. We're going to roll up our sleeves and melee. There's a story that was sent to us via a listener on Twitter this week and it involves the Wraith Rovers. It's a Scottish team. Kate, you we're reading up on this story. Yeah, and I should say thanks to Conrad, our listener, who brought this to our attention. We None of us were aware of it. Um, so this is in the round ball game. The Rovers had signed a player recently named David Goodwillie to their club, only to be faced with really significant criticism for so doing. And the reason for that was that back in 2017, he had been found in a civil case to have raped a woman along with a former teammate. And it was an historic rape allegation from 2011. So found uh, in a civil case to have committed that rape. So there was real uproar from the fan base and from a lot of people about the club's decision to offer him a contract. And subsequently, a chain of events happened. Two club directors resigned. The women's teams associated with Wraith Rovers severed ties with the club. Some sponsors, including one particular high-profile sponsor named Val McDermott, who is an author, either threatened to end their sponsorship or did end their sponsorship of the club. And as I said, a lot of fans expressed concern. And so as a consequence, the club reversed its decision and came out with, I thought, a, a pretty well-worded apology, a sincere regret that the decision had been made in the first place. But, you know, it really got me and us thinking about how decisions like this come to be made in the first place. And well, my initial reaction was that it was great that there had been this kind of uprising of kind of support and concern about an issue that I think is so important. Sexual violence against women is something that I'm deeply concerned about. And to see that kind of people power, I thought was really comforting and reassuring. Um, and that was my initial reaction. But then I sort of sat with it for a few days and I had another view. My my view about it changed. And that was, you know, I was troubled that a decision like this, it, or the reversal of the decision really relied on people speaking up and mobilising in, in the first place. And really what I think would be much better than having to rely on sponsors who have influence and power and directors who have influence and power to speak up would be to have had a process in place in the first place and really a principled approach to whether someone like uh, this particular player should have been offered a contract in the first place. Because I think if we have to rely on people, A, realising that the decision had been made in the first place, B, knowing something about this guy's background, and C, feeling concerned enough or, or mobilising enough to do something about it, you know, there's always the risk that one of those three things doesn't happen and that we don't end up with this result. People don't know that it happened. People don't know the history or or people have different views about it. And so I think ideally clubs would have a principled approach to begin with and a kind of process. And perhaps this club will will do that moving forward. It's a really interesting case to look at, Katie, when we think about the commentary around Jordan Degoe, when we think about what will happen when the men's season kicks off. My fear is that, I mean, with every job that people interview for these days, everyone gets Googled. You know, if someone's been posting pictures inappropriate or where they've been on holidays or, you know, whatever it is, it seems really naive to suggest that this research hadn't been done and that people didn't know. I would really hate to think that clubs take the risk because they think someone's that 
good on field that they'll take the risk and then they'll they'll cop for it later on if people do speak up because that's the tail wagging the dog I would have thought it worries me if there's not that kind of leadership in sport I'd really hope that we're better than that but of course it's different across countries and it's different across codes because of the way that they're set up so you know if, if a team is owned privately it's a completely different scenario and you see that a lot in American football where privately owned businesses uh, run the football clubs and run the clubs and they often don't take heed any kind of heat or pressure from supporters because that's not that's not their financial model and I think we kind of talked about it last week that you know money in sport is actually really tricky because what does it buy you you know and so I think in terms of this I think it's a it's a real wake-up call and a warning shot for us to make sure that when we do have an administration like the AFL, that they need to be really clear on their policies. And at the moment, they do rely on criminal prosecution a lot to, to come up with what their code of conduct is. And, you know, we've been debating that here for such a long time, but I would hate to think that it is reliant on supporters having to get vocal because that's very difficult. You know, you talked at the start of the show, Em, about it's hard sometimes to see whether the needle has moved. If we look back a number of years, we can see that the needle has moved, but it isn't moving equally. And that's across, you know, a whole lot of different codes, but it's also from elite down to other levels of sport. I think we're in a process at the moment of trying to work out how much we take into account the full athlete, the full person, all of the off-field culture and working out what's really important to us. And there's real differences in the way, you know, where people are landing at the moment. It's so important that we continue to have these conversations and that organisations and associations continue to think about what policies are going to put in place. Because as you said, Kate, it can't just be reliant on a particular person being in a, a role to be able to make that change. It needs to be something that goes to structure but also we know how much trickles down from elite sport in terms of setting culture in grassroots sport. Do you think it's interesting that this week Dustin Langer has lost his job as the head coach of the Australian men's cricket team and I don't think five years ago things that happened off field or or cultural conversations around what the coach was bringing would have necessarily predicated a change in contract offers or negotiations, but it it does appear that, you know, they've had on-field success, but it does appear that that decision has been made based on things that didn't happen on field. And I don't think it's been that well handled, obviously. And if you, by the way, if you ever get offered a six-month contract... It's like a kiss of death, really. I mean, it's not me, it's you. It's interesting when I was studying leadership and we talked about leadership that sometimes there's there's a type of leadership that's actually really helpful in a crisis. And when you think about Justin Langer, he came in after the Sandpaper Gate crisis and maybe that was what was required at that time. And some of the models that we were looking at were people who had been good in a crisis but revealed themselves later on. And the perfect example of that is Rudolf Giuliani. In the days after 9-11, he was exactly what New York needed in that moment but then you flip forward you know a decade or two four seasons car park (laughs) to the four seasons car park and his hair was dripping down his face and he wasn't the leader for everyday life maybe what cricket australia needed when they appointed justin langer 
was a really different skill set to what they require now. And there's obviously been personal changes within the team as well. So really bring back that question of how long is it okay to be at the top? You know, how long should you be a president? How long should you be a coach? We revere people who've done it for a long time, but, you know, sport is changing really quickly. So I guess boards are under heaps of pressure to be able to respond to that. You know, obviously I'm going to make a disclaimer here and that is that you know, there's a lot swirling around about the, the culture and allegations made about Justin Langer and the three of us sitting here of course don't don't really know what went on but there's been a pretty stark division between former players or recently retired players and and, and particularly players who cricketers who played with Justin Langer in that great era in the sort of early 2000s or so and the current crop of cricketers who it seems like from what we know you know there was a bit of opposition from those current cricketers to him not everyone of course but at least some and I think we can glean something pretty interesting from that that probably reflects a cultural divide about how players even who competed in cricket five or ten or fifteen years ago believe things like that you should be loyal to the coach at all costs and that's some of the language that we've seen this week you know past players coming out saying decrying the lack of loyalty and emphasizing that the team has been playing really well and it's that it's winning that matters most and the fact that current players or at least some current players didn't care as much about that shows you how things have changed in a pretty short period of time I think I have watching this the last few days have had the words of one particular person swirling around in my mind and that is friend of the pod Ted Lasso (laughs) who of course in season one of Ted Lasso says for me success is not about the wins and losses it's about helping these young fellas be the best versions of themselves on and off the field and in some respects you know I think that that show Ted Lasso has resonated so much with so many people because it does produce and present a really different version of masculinity and of sport and of what matters and of sporting culture and part of me thinks that those guys who are playing cricket for Australia are Ted Lasso fans because there's a real link to me in that cultural shift that's happening you know the general public perception of sport I think is one of as of a game rather than that being a workplace actually Um, and again I'm not making any claims about Justin Langer here but just sort of speaking more generally and sort of hypothetically people who compete in in sport and who are paid to do so and who are professional athletes are working in a workplace and are entitled as well to OH&S obligations and to feel safe in their workplace and that includes being psychologically safe you know part of me wonders whether some of these discussions that we're seeing happening we're seeing athletes be more outspoken about their mental health and well-being and so on is a reflection of that shift in in understanding too and really reclaiming the sporting space as a workplace first and foremost that should be safe for all of them Isaac Quainall, Tom Stewart. Now that KO has 4K, people will see every detail. I better wash my hair. Or I'll book in a spray tan. Maybe a manicure? I'm shining up my tats. Experience amazing detail with 4K. Now on KO. I'm Emma Carney and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. The WA players are heading back home and with border restrictions that are in place because as stated by the WA government, it looks like they're going to have to go into a two-week quarantine uh, situation when they get back home. And weirdly, I think Carlton are flying in to play Frio, which I can't get my head around it because there are Western Australian residents who are outside of WA at the moment who can't get back home. And I cannot quite fathom 
that a team is going to get the opportunity to fly in and fly out. Now, I understand that they will be hubbed and bubbled and all those kinds of things, and I know that that's the new world order, but do you think that's a PR problem? Like I think that that would be very hurtful for a lot of people who can't get back in to see loved ones and family members at the moment. It's an ongoing issue, Kate, you're nodding. Yeah, well, I mean, I have some good friends who have just moved to WA, so I'm sort of very intimately familiar with the process that they had to go through and all the hurdles that they have had to go through in order to move. And it has been extreme um, and really complicated and stressful. And and I also have friends, like I'm sure many of us do, who are from WA originally and want to get back there to see family members, including family members who are elderly and very unwell or terminally ill and aren't able to do so. It, it does challenge our confidence in the system, I think, and, and I think a lot of people's confidence in an ability to support the AFLW, not the players themselves, of course, but just the system where some people are able to fly in in order to play a footy game and other people have to go through lots of hoops, including people who are in really difficult circumstances. Oh, absolutely, Kate. And it's so hard. And I think there's a real, you know, disparity between what is allowable for general members of the public and what dispensations given to football teams and to sporting clubs. And I think that's such a tough conversation. But I'd also like to just come back to the football and to come back to the AFLW in particular and just, you know, just to really acknowledge, I think, what we've asked of Fremantle and the West Coast Eagles to do. So those players have been over here. They thought they were just coming for three weeks and it's been longer than that. Frio played four games in 16 days and their final one was in Tassie. So they were going home, but they had to go via Tassie. You know, you think how tiring it is when you've got to go to the airport. That was like a stopping all stations and play a game in between. And doesn't you know take away congratulations to North we probably should have celebrated you off the top of the show and said that's fantastic that was a great win but Trent Cooper talked in his press conference about the fact that he felt the team were a bit fatigued mentally and that that meant that they lost their structure a little bit and that made it harder for them to score. He also talked about the fact that the players are going to have to quarantine for 14 days, but it won't be in hotels. They can't actually get accommodation together. So they're going to be spread in Airbnbs all over the state. That's a whole other thing for people to deal with. And they're still waiting at this as of yesterday in the press conference to hear whether they actually are going to be able to train or play. So I think that's massive. Yeah, it's particularly hard for them, Lou, but I also just want to acknowledge St Kilda, who we haven't talked about a lot on the pod so far this year, and I really feel for them because they're languishing at the bottom of the ladder at the moment. They haven't had a win yet, but they've also only played three games, and as you mentioned earlier, Lou, Frio have played six, and uh, most other clubs have played five, and I just feel for them because, you know, they're stuck in this kind of holding pattern. There's no capacity to generate momentum. Um, they're falling further behind in terms of the number of games played. There's a risk that they'll just continue to fall further behind and then at some stage they're going to have to catch up. So I really want to acknowledge St Kilda and everyone associated with that club because I think, you know, I think everyone's doing it really tough, but I think they're doing it really tough too for a whole different set of reasons and um, their future looks pretty uncertain in this season two. Really tough as well when you know that there's four new teams coming in that will be looking to pick over the carcasses of teams to go shopping and try and lure players away. It's a really tough season. It'd be really hard I reckon if you were feeling like you hadn't had a chance to show what you can do. Just gorgeous camaraderie just on Twitter this week. I've seen so many players from other teams thanking 
Fremantle and thanking the Eagles for what they've done to come over here and make this sacrifice so that the season could continue. And I think that really is a nod to the fact that all these players are doing it tough. I, I really love seeing just the way that they're all supporting each other. So it was huge news that it was the fifth birthday of the AFLW and, you know, pinch yourself because we're here at this moment and hopefully this league will go on long after we are gone and our ashes are scattered at Glenferry Oval. But it's so nice to think about the things that we can celebrate about a fifth birthday. Now, my fifth birthday was one of my best ever because my mum made me the old woman who lived in the shoe cake from the Woman's Weekly Cookbook, Cake Cookbook. And I just wanted to firstly hit you up and say, it feels obvious to say that if we're going to bake a cake for the AFLW, it would have been the football oval, which appears in the Women's Weekly Cookbook. What would be one of the other ones that you might have because I was thinking the swimming pool with the jelly is a great recovery (laughs) pool we could have done that (laughs) I'll accept any answer except for the duck that has chips as its mouth oh yeah that one's so delicious um what about the train oh because you're on the because they have to train you have to train really hard to be good at football (laughs) and you take the train to the to the MCG or to Docklands or wherever else they might people might At play all Optus those. Oval. They don't, they don't, Optus Oval. I'm stuck because all I can think of is my favourite cake, which I feel has absolutely zero to do with AFLW, but that's the echidna because it had all those spiky <laughs> chalk mint. Um, There's a lot of pricks in the pool, Kate. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's the sign of a future when we're no longer here where there is a team called the echidnas, which I would love because I love echidnas. The Achuka echidnas. <laughs> I feel like Lucy had that for her 40 nights. I did. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So Felicity and Emma made me that. But they made me the failed version from Nailed It. (laughs) Best cake I've ever had. Um, So thinking about the last five years, what are some of the things we didn't have before? AFLW came that beautiful Friday night. Darcy kicked four. Carlton got the win. The lockout. Gills, deer in the headlights, who's being man from Snowy River, taking control of the... (laughs) Of the matting crowd saying you can't come in and so noisy that people couldn't actually shout out instructions to each other. What are the things that you now have in your life that you didn't expect were going to be a source of joy? Because my first one is footy jumpers that fit women's boobs. (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) Look, I'm going to say I didn't listen to anything that you just said because I was too busy Googling Women's Weekly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I found an article from 2020, which was a list of uh, called Ranking All the Women's Weekly Cakes Based on How Cursed They Are. And the echidna came first. So I feel personally offended about that. But that's by the by. Um, I am glad that I have Erin Phillips in my life, for starters. I wrote a list of all the things that I loved about the AFLW and in, in advance of this recording. And, and I felt like by the end that really... I felt a bit like Dennis Denudo because it's just the vibe and it's everything. It's the vibe because it's contests. It's just seeing women out there. It's seeing young girls and young boys and older men and older women enjoying the contest. I love seeing people come up through the system. That is something that I find so much joy in those women who've had the pathway all the th- way through. The community that sits around the game that Rana and Casey Simons talked about a couple of weeks ago and, and also just the unique personalities and the different way that stories are told that is sort of not as media managed which I've really enjoyed but just everything the vibe Erin Phillips all of it the the Dennis Denudo of it exactly (laughs) it's the vibe Lucy what about you 
I wasn't sure. This is such a confession. You might have added me on this before, but I wasn't sure how I was going to accommodate another whole league into my life. I, I felt like my life was very full and AFLM took up a lot of my time and I wasn't really sure where AFLW was going to sit. It's like having another child that my heart just grew. I really love this child. I love this child so much. And it's been instrumental, I think, in changing the way that I view what women are capable of physically. That's so important to me that it's probably it's probably one of the most important things that because I hadn't played a sport that was very physical, it's really changed my ideas of, of what women are capable of. I love seeing that and I've loved watching the evolution of the on-field of the game to see it become faster and more skillful and to still have those fierce tackles and the physicality of it. It's really changed a lot of how I see myself and I'm so grateful for that. But I also love, you know, when I think of the off field that I truly feel that there's a place now for me, I'm going to speak very personally, but there's there's a real place for me in football where I really feel like I belong. And I think for a long time, there are a whole lot of us who weren't sure where we fit in, in football. And Rana mentioned this, Rana wrote a great article for The Guardian this week where she talked about the achievements in five years at the AFLW. And she talked about how, you know, there was a time when women's involvement in, in football was you know, getting a gift bag with some lip gloss in it at a function. I can really see that there's a place, not just for women, but for non-binary folk. And I'm really hoping that there'll be a place for trans people in, in football as we work to make changes and to become more inclusive. The other thing, I just wanted to give Rana a little shout out because I loved this line in her article where she said, the AFLW is multitasking in that it both symbolizes gender equity and actively seeks it. And I love that because sometimes I think we get caught up in, well, are we there yet? I know often when we're planning for the pod where we don't want to just always be, you know, focusing on problems and focusing on you know the things that we think um, are real issues but there's something really powerful about trying to bring change about while also actually doing it. One of the other things I mean sort of being really positive about the last few years one thing that I do see we you know we do spend a bit of time focusing on how much more we would like to see change happen but we do see change happening all the time and I see it in the conversations that I have with people and you know, I think of a conversation I had with someone a few months ago and the way that people notice little things now that I think they might not have noticed before the advent of the AFLW. And those are things like receiving an email from the club president that doesn't mention the women's team, but mentions the men's and those kinds of things that people are now much more attuned to and speak up about. And that might seem like a really small thing, but it's not, it's massive because it goes to some of the stuff that I was talking about earlier with the Carlton Respect scheme and the way that women have historically been invisible or not at all recognised or acknowledged, their lives seen as unimportant and not worthy of commentary. And, you know, when I hear people telling me that oh, I emailed the club the other day because the club president didn't mention our team, the women's team that is, I feel really chuffed because I think that is a shift in thinking that really has ripple effects in a major way. And every time I see people picking up little things on social media like that and seeing that, you know, the women's ashes wasn't, you know, in the paper today or it was five pages in and, and so on and they've said something about it, they've written to the newspaper, they've 
you know, they've spoken up about it. I think it's great because that's improving the visibility of women and really pushing to make women's lives and contributions and experiences more visible and to value them. And and I think that's fantastic. And that is a noticeable shift to me in the last five years, even though I'd like it to be much, much better. You know, if we stop and pause, it's there's a big change, I think, underway. And that's great. I agree totally. The thing that I love, and I think about this all the time, that you know, I didn't actually see this on the night that AFLW started, but it felt like, you know, when in Batman, when they put the bat sign up in the sky and the light, Mm. and then he knows to come and save everyone. (laughs) That was the night that the flare went up and all of the people who loved women's footy, who had been pushed underground or who had been playing in grounds far and wide came from everywhere we all collectively had a moment created a community and it's living breathing community today so that when I sit down to read my AFLW news on a Monday morning I'm reading from the names of the people that I have passionately followed this game with for five years or in some cases longer and I love that that cohort of women and there's so many of us but women and men and non-binary people who are feeling like this is their game, this is their community, these are their people. And it doesn't really matter what team we go for, that we all say hello to each other in the outer and say we loved what we saw you wearing at the game last week on Instagram or whatever it was, or I disagree with you about this and keep your hands off our player when you come into the competition or whatever, trash talking, it's all very normal. But it feels like the community of, you know, when you watch those American sports games where you know, they have those seasons passes to a baseball game or something and you see them all sit down. They all know everyone who's sitting around them. I feel like that's what happens when you go to AFLW. I very rarely actually get to watch the game when I go to AFLW games because I'm so busy speaking to people and and catching up with friends and seeing people IRL that I love following on socials and, and who I just get to see over these very short and sweet AFLW months. I will just take you to task on one thing. You said you didn't see the bat symbol go up, but I'm pretty sure that there was some sky riding that day. (laughs) There was. Do you remember? I do remember. The marketing was because I remember standing, I remember where I was and I looked up in the sky and it said AFLW in the sky and I tried to get a photo, but of course the wind had blown part of it away before the other part. I feel like that was, yeah, kind of there. The riding was in the sky. It actually was. I loved that moment. I wish I they did that, that every year. It is time for final beeswax. Loose wheel? Yes, my final beeswax is just, I don't think I've read out a swamp tweet for a while, but this one really tickled my fancy. He tweeted the other day that the first AFLW game was played five years ago. Milestone goals in AFLW history are thus. The first goal was kicked on the 3rd of Feb, 2017. The thousandth goal was kicked on the 15th of Feb in 2020 and the 2000th, that's hard to say, goal was kicked on the 3rd of April in 2021. Do you know what's special about all of these? All three of them were kicked by Jazzy Garner. <gasps> that's amazing. That is amazing. That's spooky. That's a cool stat. Yeah, yeah. I was practicing really saying cool 2000th. 2000th. 3000th. 2000th. Katie, do you have any final 2000th. 
I do, thanks, Emmeline. I just wanted to mention an art exhibition that's coming up in WA. It's called Keeping Score and it's been put together by the broom artist Naomi Hatherley and it charts and celebrates the rise of women's footy in WA and what she's done is paint old discarded metal numbers from those manual scoreboards that you used to have with images of women playing the game and arrange them in ways that acknowledge important dates in the history of women's footy and so on. It's being held at the Moores Building, Contemporary Art Gallery in Fremantle. It starts on the 5th of March, but you can in the meantime follow her work or if you're not in WA, you can follow her work on Instagram. It's absolutely beautiful and her tag on is tag? Is that what it's called on Instagram? Mm, yes, Handle. tag, Grandma. <laughs> Grandmama. Because I'm not on Instagram, I don't oh, know. No, you're not. It's on the Information it's called Superhighway. It's called an anchor, On the World Wide Web, on the Information Superhighway, you can find her handle is gnomes, N-O-M-E-S, H-A-T-H. I love we'll it. put a link to that on the show notes. Can we um, just do a shout-out, a uh, cross-code shout-out to Melissa Barbieri, who has been the captain of the Matildas. She's currently playing for Melbourne City as the goalkeeper, and she's just celebrated 25 years of playing the round ball game at the highest level in this country. And I just think that is something that is very rare to see, and she's still playing, in, she's still in cracking form. So, Bubs, we salute you, You're an icon of the game and that is an unbelievable achievement. Yay, bubs. All right, ladybirds, it is time to get out of here. I think there's only one thing left for us to say. Go Go footy! Isaac Quainall, Tom Stewart. Now that KO has 4K, people will see every detail. I better wash my hair. Oh, I'll book in a spray tan. Maybe a manicure? I'm shining up my tats. Experience amazing detail with 4K. Now on KO. 